Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today, we're joined by a man who's gone out on his own as a professional boxing coach, having learned from some of the very best along the way. A talented fighter in his youth, he once fought Amir Khan on a day's notice in Dungarvan, but hung up his gloves in his teenage years. When his brother Andy received an offer to train out of the Crunk Gym in Detroit, he went along for the ride, and the pair of them ended up living with Emmanuel Stewart. He learned his craft under the famous coach and HBO analyst, as well as the likes of Joey Gamash and Sugar Hill Stewart. But after Stewart's death in 2012, he moved camp along with Andy back to Adam Booth's gym, where he continued his education as a cornerman. He was there for many of the highs and lows of Andy's career, Athens 2004, his pro debut 2006. But Roger Lee, I believe he somehow missed the biggest one of them all. Uh, when Andy Lee defeated Matt Karabov in Las Vegas 2014 to claim the WBO World Middleweight title. Your own life was not exactly going to plan. Yeah, no, I wasn't there at the time. Um, I ended up staying at home, um, just probably getting over there at the time, you know. Um, and I let Andy to it. One reason as well, I know it was a big knife for it. Well, it was the biggest night of his life, boxing-wise, but it was just... I bring a lot. I used to get a lot very nervous when Andy used to fight. You know what I mean? I thought I'd leave it to him and let him do it. Uh, I ended up watching it at home on my laptop, and uh, a dodgy stream I had um, started freezing and going. And then the phone, it, the laptop was running off the internet and um, running off my phone. Sorry, and the fr- my friends of mine were ringing the phone as the fight was going on, and it kept freezing the freezing the phone and freezing the internet. You know, and uh, had to keep declining calls and uh, it was madness. And anyway, it, it just happened. A fellow friend of mine rung me. He said, oh, you're watching the fight? I said, yeah, get off the phone because I'm watching <laughs> it on the uh, laptop. Put the phone down and then about a few minutes later, watching the fight and then it, it froze again and the phone rang. I thought, oh, something's happened in this fight. You know what I mean? Because he wouldn't be ringing back. And uh, he said, are you watching the fight? I said, yeah. He said, Andy's Ward. He said, he knocked him out. I said, no way, get off the phone. <laughs> And then I see it happened. He knocked him out, and I ended up running around. It was good. It was a good night. Unbelievable. Yeah, he said at page two hundred and sixty-six of Fighter Andy Lee's uh, autobiography, he says uh, he, he mentions the nerves. All right, he says you couldn't face being around a crowd to watch it live on Saturday night, so you sat by yourself in the trailer and watched it on a stream halfway through. Obviously, as Karabov was putting the squeeze on, because Andy is. I remember Andy Lee, t- Andy telling us the plan ahead of the fight and he knew he wasn't going to win the early rounds but he was you know setting traps and he was waiting to unload his big shot were you calm watching the fight given the nerves that you experienced watching those those fights and i suppose given all those years you spent at, at ringside for andy's fights were you calm watching the stream or was it just the stress of getting all the phone calls and stuff like that did you think it was going to plan yeah i was watching it and i was surprised because i was listening to commentary and they had andy down but i gave him a few of ra- them early rounds you know i think they had him down almost five rounds 
to one maybe. But I gave Andy a couple of the early rounds. I thought it was a quite even fight up until till it got stopped. You know, um, it, I was still very very nervous watching it, but. I was a bit confused and a bit worried about the, the commentary and how they were judging, how they were scoring it. Obviously, I didn't know the official scores, but commentators had Andy down a bit and I was a bit surprised by it because I thought he was doing really well. The rounds were very close, could have went either way, but I had Andy definitely in the fight, you know? Um, and obviously what happened, happened. He just called him a lovely hook and the rest was history. He paints a picture in the, in the book of you kind of running out of the trailer in your underpants, sprinting up and down, trying to find out what, yeah. what's going on here. A friend of mine who was living a couple of doors down, he had, he had Sky, he had the channel. And I didn't want to watch it. He told me to come up and watch it with him. And I didn't want to watch it because he had a few young kids. I didn't want to be jumping around screaming that uh, when they were asleep. So, But I couldn't help it. I ended up jumping out the trailer, running down, <laughs> down to my friends and my fans. I didn't care who was there, who saw me. Just got in and I was like screaming at top of my voice. When it was, was done, you know? Did it feel like you'd won it yourself? Like A little bit, no. I, I wouldn't take no credit for it, but a little bit, yeah. It was just all the work gone in and know how much Andy sacrificed and how much he wanted it, you know? And to finally get the shot, get it. And he, I mean, he was a big underdog going to the fight. A lot of people didn't want to fight Korobov. Um, he took the fight, he took a risk taking it, and uh, it paid off for him, you know? Lots so of people ducked out of fighting Karabov. I think uh, I know of a couple of fighters who said no thanks, and Saunders was one of them. You know, stepped aside and let Andy take the fight, but he wasn't going to let this chance slip. Yeah, well, Andy had been around, you know, he'd, a little bit of not knowing when he'd get another shot, um, so he had to take it really, and it just paid off because it was a dangerous fight. It was a big, it was a very talked about fighter at the time, Karabov. You know, he was undefeated. He was stopping a good few people. Um, and I imagine that they had big plans for him if he won that title against Andy, you know? Did you make it back to Limerick for the homecoming? Uh, no, I didn't make it back. Um, at the time, my wife didn't have a passport um, and we wanted to fly over. I had a few commitments at home. We couldn't really make it. But um, it was good. It was a good reception for him, you know? Were you staying in East Bowat in London at the time of the fight? I was in um, Romford in Essex. Okay. Yeah. What was it like growing up in the East End? Like, yeah, four, bro four brothers who boxed. You and Andy were the youngest two, and your big brothers were kind of earmarked for, you know, they were good boxers, good good role models to follow. Yeah, definitely. They were, they were, uh, they were uh, way into boxing, really. You know, my two older brothers, they fought, started boxing when they were young. Um, my dad taking them up to the gym, and then we just fell into it. You know, we used to go up to the Repton gym in, in Bethnal Green, um, just to watch them at the start, and then we started going to. They used to do, they do, they still do a nursery. Back then, they used to do a nursery on a Sunday morning. Every Sunday, you have six, seven-year-olds there, so that's where we started. Um, but boxing has been around well all all our life, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, my two older brothers are really successful. Like one, box, they box for England um, many times, won loads of national titles. My oldest brother, Thomas, he was. He never had a, he never had any prelim fights. Went straight into their schoolboy championships and won them the first year. You know, no experiences. Went straight in and won the national title. Um, same with my other brother Ned. He was he won loads of national titles, loads of international titles. Um, so they're all good, good, good boxers. You know, Andy is probably the best of the lot, really. You know. At the time, as kids, would he would he would it have been fair to say that he was the one probably least likely to succeed? Because he says in his book that Roger was always the one earmarked to be the boxing star. Yeah, well, it's yeah back then probably yeah 
because, you know, everyone used to say, I was, because my brother held a record. My brother Ned held a record at Repton. I think it was like his first 27 fights undefeated. But that was a record that stayed for years and everyone used to talk about it. And everyone used to say that I, I would be the one to beat it. But it didn't happen. I got beat four or five fights in. <laughs> um, but yeah, Andy had success. Even but even younger on, Andy had success. He won a couple of national titles in, over here, schoolboy titles, you know? Um, it was just, he was probably heavy, bit, bit short, heavy, you know, and uh, everyone, like I had a more, maybe a little bit more skill at the time, you know what I mean? And it looked a little bit better, but um, yeah, I didn't really see it that way. I thought always Andy, Andy was the one, you know? Yeah. Um, when you, you moved back to Limerick at a young age and maybe that affected you more than everybody else because to have stayed in the, the Repton Academy at the time, which one of the best shop boxing gyms in Europe, if not the world, you know, that's where I suppose Andy first learned his skills and your big brothers. But when you moved back to Limerick, it didn't, it didn't really go as well for you because maybe you were a bit younger. Yeah, I would say so. You know, if I had, it could have been a benefit to me if I had a few more years at Repton because at the time I was there from, I was seven, but I only had one year, real year of actual boxing, you know, a fight because I was at the age I left when I was 11. Uh, so I only had one year really of, of boxing. I think I did one year in the championships. I think I got to the semi-final and lost. Yeah, probably I could have benefited from more years there. Just aspiring and training would have been a lot better than what you would get, you know. Uh, well, you couldn't get any better around really. So, but then again, it was, yeah, it was different. Moving to Ireland then, you're leaving your friends in England who were there and at the time, Andy had one year in the gym, uh, and then won the won the Irish national title, and then was a lot of the time on the national team. And so I was going to the gym, a strange gym, a new gym, by myself a lot of the time, you know. So mm. it was a bit box became like a bit of a chore rather than something I enjoyed, you know. What was it like growing up as an Irish kid, uh, like a, a traveller boy in London? And because Andy speaks about, uh, you know, getting people would try bullying him at school and stuff and you'd ha end up having to make your fist do your talking. Yeah, I was always in trouble as well at school fighting. You know, you you it wasn't so much about you being Irish, it was just about you being a traveller more, more than anything, you know. Um, you're getting stick off people for that, uh, calling you a jippo and whatever, pikey and whatever. And, you know, the only way you react, well, we knew how to react was just to fight, you know. So, um was a lot of stick in school and around the streets and that so but in the boxing gym it was a lot of travelers and uh, but you never get it in the boxing gym there were travelers and there were settled people and there was black people asian people all together and they were just training together and it was there was no none of that you know but you go into school and you get it for some reason um yeah we had we had it all the time growing up you know did you end up getting into fights and stuff like that just because of people jeering you yeah, I had a few fights in school, nothing serious, but just, you know, people call your names and you just lash out at them, you know? Yeah. Um, that's just that's just the way it was. Nothing real, nothing too serious. But not on a, I wouldn't get it on a daily basis. I had a few close friends in school, but you'd get it all regularly, you know? Um, being called names and gypsy, gypsy and pikey and whatever. Um I reckon the film. I reckon the film Snatch that came out around that time did untold damage because it kind of normalised this language that people seem to use really frequently after that. Yeah, but to be honest with you, it's been happening for years. It's still happening now. You know what I mean? It's still 
it's, it's still going on now. You get it. You get it. Like people, people that wouldn't know. Sometimes people, you meet people on the street or you're chatting to people that don't know me or don't know I'm a traveler. They'll still talk badly about travelers and that, you know, and gypsies and things. And you get it. It's, it's just, uh, it's some way, it's an acceptable form of racism kind of mm. thing. I mean, it's just, it's a laughable thing. You call someone a pikey or that. It's, it's kind of a joke or a bit of fun, you know, but you wouldn't get it if you're calling, you know, there's outrage if, if black people are called the N-word and things like that, you know what I mean? Mm. But gypsies and travelers, I, I just, there's no, there's no real outrage for it. You know what I mean? It Have goes it? on TV and goes on medians are saying it and things like that, you know, just, just seems to just, we're just most to get on with it. You know what I mean, it doesn't really affect us. Yeah, it's it's sad to even suggest, but is it almost water off a duck's back at this stage because you're used to it, which isn't isn't right? Like, no, it shouldn't be like that. You know, there should be more done about it, and more education about people. You know, but it's it's it goes on all the time. You know what I mean? In schools and things, and even from not even from the pupils, but from teachers and things. You know, um, almost like this, the gypsies or the traveling children are pushed to one side a little bit. You know, um, so it's it's sad, really, and it's, it's but yeah. As you grow up with it and you get older, you you kind of tend to just brush it off and pass it off. But you know, a lot of time it does it does go on every day, um, from even from adults and kids and the like. You know. Yeah, um, it's it's good that boxing is there as an avenue for you know people from the traveling community to go out there and express themselves. And like we saw, we saw Andy, your brother was the first. Uh, the first traveler world champion, which has led to uh, like Tyson Fury coming after him, and it looks like there's going to be a wave of traveler traveler champions in the next ten or twenty years. Yeah, it's really good. It's good. You know, Andy was the first traveler to win the world title. It definitely won't be that, like there'll be many more to come. Um, you know, Tyson and Billy Joe. You've got loads of young traveling boys coming up now. Um, Dennis McCann, Hopi Price. John Doherty, you've got loads of traveling boys coming up there, uh, are performing on a high level, you know, and performing on big platforms. So it's it's only good to highlight that there's a different different side to traveler community, you know, that they're not we're all we're not all thieves and scumbags and you know, we are educated people that we know how to do things and we have aspirations in life, you know, more than just what they think we do, like go out and stealing and things, you know. Do you find but yourself <laughs> do you find yourself uh, radiating towards those like the traveler boys though cheering cheering for them extra extra hard um in in a way yeah it's i i just i just you find a little bit of pride in it that they can get there you know that they've come through you know what they're coming through like through sometimes they leave school early um or and then they have got to go to work and things and for them to be in the limelight for for, their, for something skillful you know and to, to be getting the accolades for it and because you look in the amateurs junior level you look along the national titles in england and ireland most of the boys winning are doing well at traveling boys you know mm. it's when they get to senior level or in around that level they they have other priorities like they might get married or they, they have to go to work and earn some money but it's good now that they're staying staying in it more longer and turning pro and see that they can make a living out of it but also it's it's highlighting our community you know highlighting travelers that they're in a positive way more more yeah. than people think you know yeah absolutely and like one of my first boxing heroes as i've said on the show many times is francie barrett like and uh yeah. he did he did so did such good for his community as well yeah definitely yeah 
Um, going to the Olympics, representing the country, you know, it, it was really good. We were in England at the time, and we 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 watched even we even watched Francie Barrett boxing in the Olympics because he was a traveller, you know. And it was we were amazed that a travelling boy could get that far, you know. Um, yeah. Like I said, the more that do it, the more that actually like like Andy, uh, uh, people who had seen Andy become a world title, world champion, they would have thought, yeah, we can do that. And now you got Tyson, who's arguably the biggest boxing star in the world um, and is so proud of his heritage. He's, he's called the Gypsy King. It's, uh, you know, it's gonna, only going to inspire more to, to keep boxing, you know. So long may it continue. Absolutely. So you go from being um, an Irish kid in London to moving to Limerick. Did you get treated then as an English boy in Ireland? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we were, we were like over in England. Yeah, saying, "Oh, you got the Irish accent," and uh, in school, you you know, you're Irish. You got the Irish accent. Where's your accent from? And then you move to to Ireland. You you're called English. You got an English accent. You know. <laughs> but uh, we had family in Limerick. My mum's family are from Limerick, so we had cousins there. You know, we had we had friends straight away. Really, when we moved there. Um, at the time, my dad's mum and dad were in Dublin as well, so we had plenty of family there. Um, we were familiar with Limerick. We used to go back pretty much every summer, you know, uh, when we were living in England. So it was, it was it was it was different living there when we moved there. It was very quiet from from London, you know, where we had we were right in the, we were right in the middle of the East End, so it was always busy, always something going on. But we moved to outside Limerick to Castle Connell, where it was more rural, quiet. So that was more we were just getting used to that over than uh, the yeah. accents, you know. And so your own boxing career was going well, and you, you're you're fighting all over Ireland. It sounded like you were taking fights at a day's notice here, there, and everywhere. But what was it like uh, traveling down to Waterford to fight Amir Khan? How impressive was he in his teenage years? Because we know, like Olympic silver medalist two thousand and four. You know, we've seen the long career he's had, but he must have been dazzling back then. Yeah, I didn't know nothing of him. I, I, what happened? I lost uh, in a national title. To a, I can't remember his name, but it was a real good boy from Dublin. Um, and he was supposed to fight Amir Khan on the Irish team, uh, but he had hurt his back a couple of days before. And my coach at the time, he rang me and said, oh, there's an opportunity to fight today. Um, he rang me in the morning, said, there's an opportunity to fight in Waterford today, uh, fight for Ireland. Didn't tell me who I was fighting enough, and that would have made a difference, but I would have fought anyway. But I, said, I said, oh, I said it was... I said, it's a bit short now. He said, no, come on, let's take it. I said, and we'll go down there because it's a good opportunity. I said, go on and let's go. We drove down to Waterford straight away. Um, but And when I got there, everyone was saying, oh, you're fighting Amir Khan. I thought, who is this? Who is Amir Khan? I never heard nothing of him, you know? Who is it? Who is it? And uh, everyone was talking about him and saying, oh, he's good. He's, he's unbelievable. Anyway, we had we had, we had had to fight. He beat me. It was a decent fight. Um, I'm not saying if I got more notes, I would have beat him, but it was. If I had more notes, it would have been better, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was he was really good. Even back then, there was such a buzz about him, you know. Um, everyone was talking about him. He was a big star on the England team, um, and rightly so. Look what he went on and done. And it was only it was in Athens in 2004. I was walking around the city, and I met, ended up meeting his dad and his brother. They were there, and I we told him the story about us fighting. They said, "Oh yeah, we remember you and that." And I said, "I was there." Supporting Andy, and he said, "Oh yeah, small world." So he's done really, really well for himself, and uh, he's had a good career. Um, but yeah, even back then, there was a big buzz about Amir Khan. 
Yeah, he's sensational teenage fire and in his early twenties. That those Olympics in two thousand and four, um, how was that as an experience? Obviously, he didn't. Uh, Andy beat uh, Angulo from Mexico before losing to Hassan and Dam, and um, he spent two nights in hospital afterwards. It was must have been worrying enough. Did he have a dilated pupil after the fight, and you know needed needed medical attention? Was it a worrying time? It was at the time. Yeah, I was over there. I seen the Angulo fight, and I tried to extend my stay. Um, so I could so I could watch the second fight, and I couldn't get a flight. Um, oh, sorry, I couldn't get a hotel. Everything was completely booked up. Couldn't get nowhere to stay, so I had to fly home. And I think I flew home on the day he was fighting, or the night he was. Yeah, the day he was fighting, I flew home early that morning. So I landed back in Dublin airport, not knowing the result of the fight. And I was getting a taxi from the airport, um, and the, the guy who was driving a taxi told me that Andy lost, and I rang him up. After that, and he said it was a close fight, which it was. You know, I went to count back um, against Hasim Adam, who went on and had a good career himself, was a world champion. You know, um, yeah, worrying times, but he did well. You know, he was the only only representative from Ireland at the times. Um, so he did well to even qualify, Andy. You know, uh, went through a hard qualification to get there. Um, at that time, it was 18 years ago, had you long hung up your gloves at that stage yourself? Had you long kind of finished up? Um, I think I stopped boxing when I was about 14, I think. Right. I stopped for a while and went back to it and then just realized that I just just wasn't enjoying it anymore, you know? Um, and then, yeah, at that time I had finished, I was just... Uh, were you present in the in the house on Christmas Day? I assume you were when... Uh, everything changed for you and Andy uh, Christmas Day 2002 when the phone rang and it was Emmanuel Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it. We were there. Um, it was mad because at the time we had we had no internet and nothing like that. So we spoke to Emmanuel. He knew, we knew who he was and that. And then we wanted to go. Andy was going to go over there. So we went into Limerick City Centre to the internet cafe and we started looking at the gym and the crunk and all that, where he was going to go and what fighters were there and we printed out these things, these papers of all the photos of all the guys that were in the gym at the time, you know? It was mad. Like, now you just pick up your phone and you get on and watch whatever yeah. you want. But that back then, we had to go into the town. We had no internet at home, so we had to go into the internet cafe and print out some printouts and things like that. And it was good, yeah. But then I remember when Manu come over, it was great meeting him, you know? But it's a funny story how, how he came to... to, to uh, to discover Andy, really, from the World Championships in Cuba. Mm. Andy beat the American, didn't he? That's right, yeah. The, man, the American that Emmanuel was training at the time, you know? Emmanuel was helped train. He used to come down to the gym and he, uh, he, Emmanuel told us a story years later that when he came back, I think his name was Jesus Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. When he came back to Detroit and he spoke to Emmanuel and said, I got beat. And he said, oh, what country beat you? And he said, and he said Ireland. And the man couldn't believe it. You know, he said, no way, Irish kids beat you. You know, let me see. And he got the video up. And I think it was Tony Dunlop who was wearing a Kronk shirt, you know? That's <laughs> yeah. right. He said, what? That's a Kronk. And uh, that's how it went on. It was a real funny story, the way Emmanuel told it, you know? Yeah. And he's ended up uh, going for going for a bite to eat in Belfast when he came over, trying to sign Andy, I think, with Tony Dunlop. Andy, Emmanuel Stewart, 2004 or thereabouts. Or I think it was that, thereabouts. That's right, yeah. They came up to open the Belfast Crunk at the time. Emmanuel yeah. and Tommy Hearns, they they flew into Belfast um, to open the, the Crunk. It's the only official other Crunk gym in the world, the one in Belfast. 
Um, yeah, so that's when we first met him in person. Come over, we had a bit of food, went to the gym. It was good. You had no idea at that stage that your life was going to change so much, but within a couple of years, you ended up living in Detroit in Emmanuel Stewart's house. Yeah, no, nah, I never at that time. At the first, even when I went over the first time, I just went over to watch Andy's, Andy's debut. Um, ended up staying a bit longer than expected, just thought I'd stay. Because Andy was there, so by himself, you know. Um, at the start, I thought I'd be there just for a bit of company for him, help him train and just be around the gym. Or just, just be company for him when he's not training, you know. Yeah, I was saying, when we first the first time I went over there for his debut, we were staying in um, Sugar Hill's house. He had a few fighters at the time. Um, there was a couple of doors down from from Emmanuel's house, and then as as we, I kept going over, I moved into Emmanuel's house with Andy. Sorry, and uh, yeah, we just end up staying over there. And uh, what was your impression of the Kronk yeah, Gym? I suppose it's it's like a, a dream for a boxing fan to be kind of part of that community. Yeah, well, I was lucky because when I first went over there, the original Kronk Gym was still opened. Um, it was still going; it was in full flight, so. It was good to see that building where all the champions are trained, you know, in a basement in downtown Detroit. Really, really. I remember it was freezing outside. I had coach jumpers on and then got in the gym and it was like like a sauna in there. Really, really hot. That's what my first impression was. Um, I went over there. I think my mum and dad were with me the first time I went in there. And Manuel put some seats in the front of the ring for, for us to sit down and men's welcome and watch Andy Spar. Well, yeah, I was lucky enough to get in the, to, to to be over there at the time the first gym was there. And then while I was there, the, the building had got closed down because of lack of funding. Um, and Emmanuel had tried to keep the gym open, but someone someone while the gym was while the building was closed, it, someone broke in and, and stole all the copper piping out of the gym and that, and it got flooded. Um, so it got closed down for a while. So we were training in, in different gyms. It was still under the Cronk name, but there were different gyms around the city, you know. Mm. Uh, is it like the the spars over there? I'd say watching Andy involved in must have been like paying into world title fights. Oh yeah, unbelievable! Just the level of competition, you know, so many so many good fighters, some good fighters that you wouldn't even know their names, but just unbelievable standard of boxing. You know, it's probably one of the, one of the big advantages American fighters have over like European fighters is the standard of their sparring. You know. Mm. Um, because I think Andy tells a story about going in and uh, Jermaine Taylor is world middleweight champion. He's boss of the gym. And uh, I think Andy's first spars with Cornelius Canine Bundridge, you know, does well, but ultimately has to go up against Jermaine Taylor for boss of the gym and do, does quite well and ends up like being almost on top. And you got the, like a kind of like a playful racial element as well. Like you, you can't let this white boy whoop you. And I suppose you're there in the mix of it as well. I'd say it was a lot of fun, a lot of yeah. fake hostility, pretend hostility, but it's really kind of camaraderie, but uh, a lot of crack. Yeah, well, it was, it was, there was a little bit of competitive edge always in the gym. You know, it was all friendly, but there was always a little bit of spice there, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, but they're always pumped on by Andy. Like, always, they're always getting on Andy about being a white fella, you know, because he was always the only white boy in the gym. Um, but yeah, the spars with Jermaine Taylor were good. He, you know, he, even Jermaine, the, Jermaine, in the end of it, I think said that Andy was the boss of the crunk. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was good, really, really good sparring. Um, and Emmanuel would never be afraid to put Andy in with anyone. You know, he did rounds with Vladimir uh, and Camp and Jonathan Banks. There was another 
good fighter from the Cronk at the time was now coaching. Um, but I didn't mix it up with everyone, you know. Even the amateur kids, they were really good in the, in the Cronk. Did you start thinking at this stage, uh, I, I, as far as I understand it, you kind of went over at first to you went over at first to keep Andy company, maybe, and uh, you know play pool, just chill out, shoot the breeze. But ultimately, you kind of end up wrapping hands, helping out, and learning off Emmanuel Stewart. And did you start to think there might be a future in coaching for me at this stage, or was it just I'm here, I'm going to make myself useful? Um, a little bit of both, really. You know, a little bit of both. Um, Ultimately, yeah, just to help Andy at the start. I never had any uh, intentions of getting my own fighters or making an own career out of it. I just was there solely to help Andy at the start, just be around for him whenever he needed it, um, whether it be just a bit of company or someone to uh, just help in the gym. Um, and then, you know, getting around Emmanuel, he was so welcoming, you know, with his knowledge, with his time, telling me little things and just watching him really coach and train and wrap hands and stuff like that, that thought, yeah, I like quite like this and maybe something I could do, you know? Um, in Ireland, I, before we went to America, I was doing a little bit of coaching with some amateurs, but nothing serious. Um, it was, yeah, when I was with Emmanuel, I started thinking that, yeah, I could, I'd like to do this and something I could learn. And everyone was telling me, oh, if you want to be a coach, you couldn't have a bit of apprenticeship. You're with the master, you know, you're with, yeah. you can't help but learn off him, you know, and it was right looking back. It was really right, you know. He was an unbelievable coach, but an even better man. He was so welcoming. Like, we were just with everything, really. It was time more than anything, you know. He, he didn't think himself too big to sit down and chat to you or tell you about little things or stories from fights and years ago and champions he's trained and their personalities and how they come across in their boxing and that. So it was, uh, yeah, it was unbelievable education for me, you know? Do you remember any of the little tricks of the trade you picked up off him? I'm sure, I'm sure you use a few even to this day, but can you tell us about any that you might recall? Yeah, just, there's loads of little things, you know, you'd, you'd be using them or even, even things like you're saying when, you know, I'm when I'm watching sparring now, things I'd be I'd be saying to the, to the, to my fighters that would come straight from Emmanuel's mouth, you know. Like just little things like test them, test them and stuff like that. Like it tell you loads of little tricks to, to do, you know. Um it's just you subconsciously, I suppose, it just coming out with me now, you know, but they come from him, really, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I said I read one one detail Andy shared in his book about like he, he'd only use cocoa butter on a boxer's face to for instead of Vaseline because there was you know there wasn't the chemicals in it, it was better for the skin and just like little tricks that like you would have picked up over yeah. decades yeah. of knowledge. Yeah, definitely the little things about wrapping hands and tying gloves and stuff like that just to protect the hand to put the tape on your hands and stuff like that and then just simple things in, in the technique of boxing you know. I was just a lot of stuff now is very drill based, do same stuff over and over again. Emmanuel never used to do that. He used to do a lot of lot of rhythm and look nice on the pads and work on a few technical technical things, but more so about your rhythm and your basics, your balance, stuff like that. Stuff that I think now more so never being lost in boxing. You know, there's a lot of strength and conditioning and a lot of fit athletes, but you know, a lot of there's still there's not a lot of good technical boxers around, you know. Mm. That have the basics, that have good balance, that have a good jab, good defense. Um, 
a lot of time it's very overcomplicated stuff going on in gyms today, you know. Where manual wasn't like that. It was very simple, basic work, but it was really, really effective, you know. I take it from what you're saying, you consider yourself, hopefully, I suppose, for yourself, that kind of coach, like a technical teacher coach, rather than one of the the, the strength and conditioning coaches, which are very prevalent in boxing these days. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope I, I hope I am. I hope I'm, I'm doing the right thing. You know, I think I am. I know, like, fighters are improving and they're looking good. They're punching, they're fit, they're strong. Um, yeah, I think between what I've learned off Emmanuel's plus what I've learned off Adam Booth and plus my own beliefs in what I like in a boxer, then hopefully it's a good it's a good style and a good gel of mixing of styles, you know. So it's early days, you know. I've only got two fighters at the moment. One's four and zero. One's two and zero. So everything's going well at the minute. So hopefully it keeps continuing. Yeah. Ed, I mentioned in the intro you were there for some of Andy's highs and lows. Like a couple of even lows come to mind. You were you were the you were there with him for the first Vera loss, and uh, I think you were the one who had to ring home, like to break the news. Uh, you know, in the middle of the night, Andy's Andy's loss must have been a difficult phone call. It was, yeah, it was because it was, you know, it was flying at the time. Andy, you know, it was a big prospect, big buzz in America about him. Um, so I'd never seen Andy in that type of fight before. You know, I never never experienced that. Like a real tough, he was always, always miles ahead of the competition, you know, or always slick and moving and never really seen him get hit like that or, and to be up close and, and ringside for it or in the corner and hear the punches and stuff like that. So really, really tough, tough loss, come out of the blue, really. Um, so, but yeah, I rang home and it was, it was, it was a tough one to take, but it's one that ultimately worked out for the better, really, because he refocused and, uh, Pushed on, you know. Have you ever seen back uh, a particular angle of the Craig McEwen KO where you're pictured at ringside celebrating? Um, yeah, it was. I was under a lot of pressure in the corner, you know, when that fight was going on. It was a back and forth fight. Andy was very close to losing. Uh, Craig McEwen fought a good fight. And uh, when he knocked him out, it was just a relief of pressure. And that was something I've never done before or never done since. But I just don't know where it come from, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I remember at the time uh, a friend of mine, Paddy Cronin, pointed it out, and uh, yeah, everyone was just watching it over and over again. It was hilarious. <laughs> oh well, I, was, that, uh, and I, I remember Andy fought in Limerick. Emmanuel was there, and Emmanuel had some stuff in, like some some gauze, some extra tape, and some adrenaline in, that, in a Tesco bag. He got a Tesco bag in the hotel, and he had it in a bag, but. For some reason, he made me carry to the ring, and everyone was getting sticky. Everyone was like, "I was going shopping or something." I was walking to the ring with a Tesco bag. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying, "Leave me alone." This was given to me by the master. <laughs> you carry his bags too. What for you was the the highlight on the on the way up, like the rise of Andy Lee? Was it was it the McEwen come from behind, or not necessarily come from behind? I think the fight was maybe around level at the time, but the momentum had swung. Um, but what was the highlight for you, kind of on the rise towards world titles? That was a good fight. Um, that was a good performance. I think the second fight against Vera, um, that was a really, really good performance. Andy boxed really, really well, kept it clean, um, boxed the ears off him, really, but also f- for his own self to, to to get rid of that monkey off his back, you know, that loss and get it, get it done on a big show. That was probably that was probably a, a good night, you know, probably the yeah. best night. Um see him do that apart from obviously winning the world title but yeah I'd say I'd say the, the rematch with Vera getting rid of that one you know 
Yeah, and, and when he did earn his first world title shot, it was uh, 2012, summer of 2012. I think it was nearly during the Euros. Attention at home was fixed on, you know, Ireland and Poland and Ukraine. But and Andy had a shot in a, was it, it was El Paso, wasn't it? And against uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And what a absolute disaster that turned out uh, turned out to be, like with the, the tiny ring, Chavez and the doping questions and uh, and and just the way the result went. Yeah, just it wasn't a good experience at all, you know. Um, not a great camp. Um, then getting to the ring, the change of getting getting the fight week, it was all over the place. They had no for us to train with to organize it ourselves. Um, not a great hotel. And then um yeah, getting to the arena, the change room was was no bigger than a wardrobe, tiny little change room. And then realized you had to drive to the ring. You couldn't, there was no ring walk, you had to drive in a limousine to the ring and then get out and then got in the ring and it was like walking on a mattress, really, really thick canvas, tiny little ring. Um, expected a few tricks, but nothing like that. And then uh, and then again, once we were the doping, you know, he never he never took it, as far as I know, he never took a, a, a doping test after the fight and he did, he never. Um, and then, you know, in, in his very next fight against Martinez, he fails, you know, so... Um, questionable but you know just tricks of the trade really but you know you just it's not nice when you experience them going through them you know yeah and obviously Andy had a Emmanuel Stewart all the way up in his corner but I don't think he were really aware at the time of the extent of his illness and he I suppose he wasn't as present as he might have been for that camp maybe to watch some of the shenanigans but it, it later kind of came out in the wash that he'd been quite sick now he I think he spent the week in Vladimir's or was it Jonathan Banks camp uh, or Vlad- uh, it was Vladimir's. I mean, Vladimir's, yeah, with Vladimir, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know at the time, and I know it was a bit of a problem because there was, that he wasn't there, you know, and he just come in a couple of days before the fight. But if he was there, it might have been a, it, just different things about gloves and drug testing and stuff like that. You know, it might have been a bit better, you know, but at the time, obviously, we didn't know what was going on, you know. Uh, how How hard did his death hit you, or hit you, because, like, we Andy's spoken before about you know how how affecting it was for him and he's you know we all know Andy Lee lived with Emmanuel Stewart he was his mentor but you know you were living in that house too and you you were like almost working as an assistant to him so it must have come as quite a heartbreaking thing to happen. Yeah, it was it was really sad, really sad just just to know he's not there. You know what I mean? Just to go when we ever fly to America or the memories we have just know it won't be happening again. You know, really. Really, uh, really sad. Such a such a nice man, a welcoming man. You know, let us move into his house. I was actually sleeping. I used to sleep in the bedroom next to him. You know, and you'd hear him up in the morning cooking or on the phone. And just when he when he left, it was it was it was really sad. Yeah, really bad time. Yeah, and did you feel like you might be finished in boxing at the time? Like, because you know your your time in the Cronk had been had been great, and you'd learned you'd learned some of your trade. But what were you thinking when? I suppose Andy moves back to London to train under Adam Boot. What was your what were your plans? I suppose time was up in the cronk for you as well. Yeah, actually, after Emmanuel's passing, I was I was back in Ireland. Andy was in London, um, and I wasn't doing anything as regards to boxing. You know, um, I'd, I'd come over on odd weekend and watch him train and that. Um, and then we moved. My parents moved back to England for a while, and um, then I started going back up to the gym more regular with Andy. Um, and then it come, just come about that 
I, I, I think it was who was Andy's training for. I think Andy was training for the first Billy Joe fight when it first got scheduled because he got knocked back a few times. Mm. Um, and Adam, Adam asked me to come in and help with Andy just for that fight. Um, and then during that camp, then he asked me to stay on. Would I be interested in staying on as his assistant after the fight was done? You know, and as, as it happened, Andy's fight with Billy Joe got pushed back a couple of times, so it became a long camp. Where I stayed in in the gym with with Andy and Adam, and ended up working with a few other fighters they had at the time, and then it just went from there really. But yeah, directly after Emmanuel's death, I was I was wasn't doing enough, and I never never really had any ambitions to uh, continue on, you know. And was it well working with Adam? That I suppose you might have realised. Hold hold on a second, I've got a lot to offer here now, and because your apprenticeship in America was complete. And now we like to, not everybody gets offered to be Adam Booth's assistant trainer or, you know, to, to be helping out in, you weren't exactly just carrying the water at this stage. You, you had something to offer and you were asking your expertise. Adam, yeah. Adam was, 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 was good really. You know, he gave me a lot of responsibility. He didn't he, um, initially he just wanted me to work with Andy because he said that I know Andy the best and it would help him, help him to coach Andy if, if he had me around, because I know him a lot, you know, um, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and what, what how he's in certain situations, and then we become good friends, me and Adam, during that camp. Um, and then he asked me to stay on and gave me a bit more responsibility with some of his other fighters. And I think I was with Adam, working with Adam for a, quite a few years. You know, um, we we had a successful time together, me and Adam. We had a lot of fighters at the time. You know, Ryan Ryan Burnett was two time world champion when I was there. Um, Josh Kelly just come to the gym. He had, a, he had quite a good few fighters. Charlie Charlie Edwards as well was there. Um, so yeah, it was a good time with Adam. Um, and he, he used to say as well that I know things that he doesn't know. I've been been in situations that he hasn't been in. You know, yeah, been in America in the gyms and being with Emmanuel. C. So he was learning off me as well a little bit. But he was. I'm very thankful for to Adam for letting me continue my coaching career and he, he taught me a lot you know just as much as as Emmanuel really you know it's mad when you think of the age uh, Ryan Burnett retired at I think he was retired by 28 like how much he achieved in boxing but yeah. then I guess there's there's also the, the thought how much more could he have achieved how was he to work with he, uh, Ryan was a hard worker really he loved training you know he, he didn't have to motivate him at all he just trained just loved training um Real intense. Every section, every session was a hundred percent, even in sparring. So, um, yeah, he was good, to, good to work with. Good, good fella. Really nice fella. Ryan has got a lot of time for him, and uh, yeah, t- t- you know, two-time world champion. Um, like he said, in such a short career, and he was just, he was just getting to it. Fortunately, a bad injury to his back cut him short. You know. Yeah, I suppose he got out clean. He got out. Um... He went out with a win, you know, he's got a young family and, uh, you yeah. know, more, more power to him. That's it. Definitely. Yeah. That's it. He earned a few quid. He, he was successful in the sport. Um, and yeah, he's doing well now. I think he's got a gym and things like that. So, you know, credit to him. Did your time at Boots Gym overlap with, uh, Michael Conlon's return from the States? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Just when, when Michael came. So I was there. Michael was there for maybe three or four months and then I left, you know. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've been in the gym with Michael. He just came from America uh, and started training. 
but you can see he's improved a lot now since he's been since I first started working with him in the gym to what he is now a completely different fighter you know mm. I suppose we're on the countdown um, to the fight with Lee Wood uh, it's going to be Adam Booth against Ben Davison who's accused British boxing trainers of being lazy um, who, how do you see that fight going um, who do you think wins and how I think, I think it's a good fight it is a good fight um, Lee Wood's got power and the weight you know he's a strong fighter um, but I think Michael Michael wins, you know. Um, I think Michael wins on points. I think he, he'll have just a little bit too much of everything, really, and just be a bit too smart to get caught up or to get caught, you know. Mm. Um, I think Michael wins that fight on points. It'll be a good fight, though. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, like you said, the two coaches going against each other. Um, that'll be interesting. See. We were jo- we were joined on the podcast by Michael, and he said he thinks Ben's going to be extremely motivated coming up against Adam for the first time. Do you think Adam coming up against Ben is going to be something that motivates him, or does he care? I don't think Adam really cares, to be honest with you. I mean, Adam's not that type of man, you know. He, he lets his fighters do the talking for him, you know. Um, and you know, he, he, Adam understands that it's the, it's, it's the fighters that deserve all the limelight. You know what I mean? It's not about the coaches. The coaches is a big important thing, obviously, and tactics on the night is very important. And obviously, you need the best coach you can get. But at the end of the day, it's the fighters that go in the ring, they take the risks, and they have to implement the game plan and do it. And Adam's not the one, that, not not the one to look for the limelight. Or you know, when Michael wins, he won't be taking all the credit for it. You know what I mean? It'll be Michael. That he, he will push Michael forward to take all the credit, you know. Adam's not that type of person. So, yeah, I expect Michael to win. And uh, tactics on the night, probably, you know, I don't think there's a better tactician per fight than Adam Booth, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just be, we're, we're nearly finished, Roger. So, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for, very much for giving us your time. Um, we spoke last year, just when you kind of, I think it was when you actually went onto social media. You took your time getting on Twitter, but um, you were saying like you want to you want to build a stable. So you've got uh, is it Johnny Ward and is it Charles Frankham in the stable now? Yeah, I'm coaching Johnny Ward, who's a super middleweight uh, southpaw, uh, two and zero, oh. um, really really good fighter, um, can punch, can box, similar similar. You watch him, similar very similar to Andy, uh, really really good right hook. So he's he's unsigned at the minute. So we're hoping to get him something signed up and get him out. And uh, and Charles Frankham is four and zero super featherweight, another good fighter, unbelievable amateur career, uh, won lots of international medal, world medals, European medals, uh, loads of national titles. So he's a really really good prospect. So he's hoping to get out soon. He's signed with Frank Warren, so he's hoping to get out soon. So yeah, they've just been in the gym today. We're just finished now, so we're just they're just ticking over at the minute. They'll start sparring soon, so hopefully um, they both have fight dates, and we'll have something to look forward to. Yeah, but yeah, two good young fighters. Um, if they if they apply themselves in the right manner, they will they will be successful. Yeah, and he seemed to dovetail well with Andy's uh, burgeoning coaching career as well. Like he's built up a, de- a nice little stable for himself there now. At the minute, he has Joseph Parker, Paddy Donovan, rising star, uh, Jason Quigley fought for his first world title last year. Unfortunately, didn't go his way, but Sonny Bill Williams and a couple other names as well. And Andy Stable, and you you tend to kind of assist on some big nights. Would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll help Andy out whenever I can. He, uh, him being in Ireland is a bit different, you know, but um, when he fought, when Joseph Parker fought Chisora recently, he asked me to come in for the night, for the fight week to help out around the hotel because he had a couple of other fighters fighting on the undercard. Um, so I, I helped wrap hands and take their, do their corner and while he concentrated on Joseph. So, um, and then did the corner with Joseph. So that was good. Um, but yeah, Andy's got some good fight. He's a good coach, Andy. You know, he's really educating when it comes to he, boxing. I hope he pays a good rate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still waiting on my check, actually. <laughs> but yeah, Andy's got some good fighters, especially Paddy. Paddy, Paddy Donovan is, 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 is a top, top prospect and probably one of the best prospects in the world, if you look at it. Um, so hoping for big things for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just before we go, um, all those years in Detroit and working under Emmanuel Stewart, you would have got to know the Klitschkos and they're engaged in the fighter lives at the minute over in Kiev. Would you, would you know the lads fairly well? Um, not so much uh, Vitaly. I've met Vitaly a few times because he'd come to the fights, to Vladimir's fights, but I know, I know Vladimir. I've been in camp with him. We used to do camp in Austria at the time. And I, I'd go over there because Andy would be fighting similar around the same time or sometimes on his undercard. Um, so I got to know Vladimir. I wouldn't know him to, to call him up and say hello to him, but I'd know him well enough, you know. Um, met him a lot a few times and had some good camps in Austria, you know. Vladimir was was a good fighter, but a real gentleman, you know. He's, uh, he had some good camps. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's, it's mad what's going on over there. And I hope... I'm, I hope to get through it and all unscathed and wish him the best. Yeah, absolutely. What What is the next yeah, year looking like for you now? With looking like for your lads, are you looking to add more boxers to your stable uh, or continue to work with the two guys you have? Um, I'll never say no to adding more fighters. I mean, the, the problem with adding more fighters is just it's just time. You know, you know, you want to give them as much time as possible. In it's rather more quality than quantity, you know. So for the right type of fighter came around and was looking for my help in the air, but I'm not I'm not really interested in taking just anyone on just to build my stable up where I'm really, really busy, you know. Um, I've got a young family that I, I don't want to sacrifice time with them yeah. to be in the gym, so... How many, um, kid, how many kids have you got, fight. Roger? I've got two. A little boy that's one-year-old and a little girl that's four-year-old. Right. Hands full. So, yeah. Hands full, you know, and and these young years, and I don't want to miss them. You know, but being in the gym, so um, maybe later in life, I'll, I will will try and have a big stable where I'm, I'm full of fire. Hopefully, I'm I'm, I'm hopefully I'm, I'll be lucky enough to have fighters anyway. But yeah, for the right type of fighter came along and was looking for my help, then I would I would help him out no problem um, if I could. But I'm not desperately seeking loads of fighters. It's just I'd rather keep the quality of my coaching. Where I can, where I can, it's just not fair to have loads of fighters where you can't give them the time that they deserve, especially young fighters because they need so much time to learn. Um, so maybe one more would be would be okay, you know. Yeah, where's your gym based, and like, do you tend to travel around the place, you know, bringing bringing the guys off to different camps, sparring, or what do you do? Yeah, well, I was I was based in Romford in Essex. I lived there for for the past eight eight years. Um, I, I was using a gym in Romford called Edge. There's a lot of good fighters fighting there. So there's loads of good gyms around. So for sparring wise, but recently, just before Christmas, I had moved to Swindon. So I'm living now in Swindon. I'm using a gym in Chippenham, which is about 20 minutes from where I live. Um, 
so that's where I'm training now. Um, Johnny, my my fighter Johnny Ward, he lives in in Chippenham, um, so it's good for him. And it's only an hour from Charles, so it's it's better for all of us really. This gym, um, but yeah, I travel around for sparring. I have no problem traveling for sparring. Um, there's some good gyms around, some good fighters. So yeah, it's just you know. I have a lot of contacts now that I can call up and then sparring. I don't mind traveling, you know? Yeah. Well, look, um, I, I was going to say, oh, I wish you the best, but we, there's just been a fight announced, I suppose, like Fury against White. And I just was wondering, what are you going to be involved in that? Are you going to have any role? I suppose you'd be around the camp maybe a bit. Um, how do you see it going? Yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll hopefully be around. You know, I'll, I'll go up to Morecambe and, and watch them train um, and, and help out if they need me, you know? Um, but they've got a sword. Sugar Hill is there, and he's there, so he's got plenty of coaches. Um, but yeah, I can't see nothing but Tyson win. I can see him winning convincingly, to be honest with you. Um, I think he's levels above Dillian White, and he'll prove it on the night, I think. Okay. Well, look, Roger Lee, thank you very much for joining us today on The Rocky Road. It's been very interesting to hear your story, and I appreciate the, uh, the honesty and the way you retold it. Yeah, thanks very much, Kevin. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.